Welcome back to Radical Ones. <laughs> so excited that you're here with us. I'm your host, Xander Schultz. I'm here with my partner in crime, Phineas, our Bruce Buffer, as I like to say, <laughs> always helping with the intros of our awesome guests. Phineas, who are we chatting with today? Today, we have, like every week, somebody that's totally different than last week and then and will be different than next week. Dave Marlin, who is a longtime native of... Las Vegas of 30 years and has a really compelling story about starting as a high-powered executive in the healthcare space for, for many years and then leaving it all behind to go start a small addiction recovery center, 10, 10 bed. And over the years, that became the biggest in the state of Nevada. He has a community organization addressing the opiate epidemic, homelessness and mental health and substance abuse, working directly with that population. So he now, he's very involved in policy at the state level and is just tackling this issue kind of on all fronts at this point. Totally. The um, addiction space and the homelessness space, right? Those are two things we haven't really touched on in this podcast, which is, it's kind of funny being 30 plus episodes in and not having touched on those, considering like how definitive those issues are, especially in our country. And especially in like the progressive cities in our country where a lot of the folks who care about these issues live and somehow we haven't been able to get our arms around that. Anyways, that said is sometimes you feel like the problems in our society are from a lack of political will. Like if we just had more people believe in the progressive solution, we would get it done. And it doesn't seem to be, maybe that is the case here. And we, we learned a little bit about it through this conversation. But I think that's what makes this issue so interesting from afar is that, man, there must not be a clear solution if San Francisco and Los Angeles and these very progressive liberal places can't figure out what to do. This issue, like so many of the other issues we touch on, is so interwoven into the other problems in our society and, and touches on the other issues. How would you describe the problem you're solving? I would describe the problem that I am solving as homelessness in Las Vegas. If I could digress, I opened up what was the biggest rehab, became the biggest rehab in Nevada about 15 years ago. I, I built it from a small place to it ended up being a 400 bed treatment center. And we treated thousands of thousands of people. And what I learned was that the people who were coming to me were sick, but that they all were coming from a family or a social dynamic that was also sick. And that if we got somebody healthy and then put them back into, I'm going to call it a broken dynamic, they had three choices. They could either get well and the family gets well, or they could get well, the family refuses, so they extricate from the family. Or the third option is they get well, they reintegrate into the sick dynamic, and they end up relapsing. Mm. So, so I really ended up uh, understanding the systems approach of addiction treatment. Right. So it wasn't just so much their own personal sickness, but these environments were releasing people back into... It seems to me from the outside looking in, this is a growing problem in the United States. I don't know if, if it's just more present or being covered more, but it does seem to be growing. 
Can you help me understand, like in a macro sense, how, how did we get here? What's been the key moments in history that have allowed for this crisis? Well, I'm, I'm integrating the addiction epidemic uh, within homelessness, which is not all of it, but it, it's a major component of it. And I'm a, a licensed alcohol and drug counselor supervisor, um, also a person in long-term recovery. So that's the lens that I come at homelessness from. But about a little over 40 years ago, the United States began a deinstitutionalization process where we closed inpatient mental health facilities where people like me used to be put. Hmm. And we moved to an outpatient treatment system for most mental health and substance use disorders. A reasonable approach. Over the next 30 years, government reductions occurred with budgets, and these people tend to be the worst at advocating for themselves. So slowly but surely, the outpatient mental health system got decimated. Now, without an inpatient system, without an outpatient system, we really have have been, uh, you know, left with um, limited resources. Now, so we have the mental health being pushed to the streets. At the same time, we had big pharma pushing pharmaceuticals, particularly opiates, on the public in in alarming amounts to the point where the United States consumes 85% of the world's prescription opiates you know, despite having 3% or less than 3% of the population, it's, it's startling the amount of pharmacological opiates that were pushed into our market. And, and those were using strategies like requiring a pain scale to be used in every hospital. So when you go to the hospital, the doctors are required to ask you a subjective, what is your level of pain? And then they're required to treat it uh, as part of that, in addition to marketing dollars spent, in addition to allowing far, uh, big pharma to market directly to, to patients, which, which that, that happened in, uh, in the 90s. Now, in addition to that, we had the, the Mex- mostly Mexican cartels distributing very inexpensive heroin up behind the opiate epidemic. So we had the mental health system falling apart, big pharma capitalizing with, with the distribution of pharmacological opiates, and then uh, you know all this heroin uh, coming in from Mexico, and um, it, it's created a perfect storm. Now enter this new generation that has been grown up with cell phones and instant gratification, and, and a quicker desire to use a, a fast solution like medications. So I would say those four things have led us to where we are here. There is an increase in poverty which also weaves in to what's causing homelessness. Mm. I'm going to say four and a half major factors attributed to where we are now. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. I wonder, you you know, your, your personal experience here, how did you get introduced to this issue? And then what was the journey like from your introduction to it and your jaw dropping to I'm going to tackle this. This is now my life's mission. And this is where I'm going to spend my time. It absolutely happened. And, uh, you know, I, I got my MBA, you know, back in the early 90s, had an economics degree and uh, knew that the goal in life for Americans raised in the 70s was to get rich. So I went to work an insurance company and over 20 years, I worked my way up to be CEO. So uh, my last three years at the insurance company, I had 
you know, W-2s over a million dollars a year. I had grabbed the brass ring. The problem was my soul was empty and I was turning more and more to drinking to be able to live with the consequences of my daily life, which was maximizing value to my shareholders and explaining exclusions of our various insurance products. So after 20 years being a CEO, I ended up uh, coming home on my 40th birthday. My three-year-old son was there and I didn't understand why I wanted to get away from him. Mm. His mom, I could clearly rationalize that she's mean to me and that I could <laughs> see why going in the garage and drinking a case of beer made a lot of sense, but I could not rationalize why I wanted to get away from this perfect three-year-old son who just wanted to sing happy birthday to his dad. Yeah. And uh, the only rationalization that this highly educated man looking at you today could come up with was, I must be possessed. <laughs> so I, the, the next day I went to see a friend of mine who is uh, a mental health professional. And I said, Hey, do you know where I could get an exorcism? I have some <laughs> irrational thought processes going on that I need to right. change. And, you know, he suggested that I might be an alcoholic. I said, absolutely not. I, I know hundreds of times where I only had one or two. So I was able to deduce a proof that it was not me. But I ended up taking him up on, on going to treatment, came back from treatment, and after a short period of time, ended up leaving the marriage, leaving the job, and then opening up a little 10-bed treatment center. Beautiful. And a story I love to tell is that, you know, for three years, I had grabbed the brass ring and I thought I was like the, you know, had accomplished the American dream and I was empty. And then the next five years running this rehab, I helped hundreds of people get clean I lost money every year, and it was, right. I was the richest man I knew. So, uh, so that's what precipitated the event. So I left running the largest insurance company in the state to running a little rehab. It grew to be the biggest rehab in the state. And during that time, I opened up a nonprofit coalition for the state. I also opened up an education foundation that ended up going into over 300 Nevada schools. So I, we were talking to kids. We were invoking the community. And we were treating hundreds of people. And I looked back and I said, I'm, I'm running to the beach with a thimble. And I'm taking water out of an ocean, mm -hmm. trying to empty an ocean. And I, this is not doing it. Uh, so I, I recognized that I needed to implement, you know, more systemic solutions. And uh, at that point, I shifted to, to advocacy. And I, I worked on, uh, first I was in the state's methamphetamine task force. and you know, we ended up getting Sudafed off the shelves and we reduced the amount of labs in Nevada. And I watched meth go down. Uh, then we ended up uh, scheduling synthetic cannabinoids and synthetic cathinones. And we ended up reducing the amount of spice and the amount of bath salts that were on the streets. We then helped implement uh, the prescription monitoring system to reduce the amount of opiates that were prescribed. So I started learning some, some systemic approaches to affect supply mm -hmm. because my demand interventions, as well as my individual interventions, you know, I realized that wasn't going to solve the problem. Now I've shifted, uh, recognizing that substance abuse treatment is effective, but the current American model of if you and I become addicted, that we go to like a Betty Ford which now costs about $40,000. Mm -hmm. 
that is not a practical way to address over 14 million alcoholics in America and many millions of people with illicit substance use disorders. We, we can't pay for 40,000 or 50,000 per person. However, in Las Vegas, we have 2,000 shelter beds and we're already paying for housing and we're already paying for food for 2,000 people. I realize I could bolt on psychiatry, counseling, med management, medication-assisted treatment, case management, which each of these are Medicaid-payable services. So they're already covered in funding streams, and it's really just a matter of integrating current services that, that are being delivered, but doing it in a linked fashion. And that is where you're at today? Is that the current project today? That is where I am today. We opened up an outpatient nonprofit treatment center downtown in the worst neighborhood. We've contracted with all the shelters. And in October of last year, we began treating patients. So we are, we are trying to address homelessness because I recognize that many of the people in the shelters are getting three squares and a bed, and then they're going out to the corner, they're flying a sign, they're panhandling to get some money to use. That We're not fixing a problem with the current shelters in the Las Vegas market, which I recognize is also happening all over the country. Well-meaning people are helping solve the problem, but they're actually doing just what the families were doing when I was running Solutions Recovery. They were blaming, they were enabling, they were angry. And by giving $5 to the guy on the corner, you're enabling their drug using behavior. It's so much better if you can give them a ride to the shelter or we have an arrangement with Lyft. You, you can just call us and we'll actually lift them to the shelter to be able to get them help because we, we need to help both the community heal from its its negative behaviors as well as these individuals. This is a broad question, but also often a fun one because you can take it wherever you'd like to, which is like, how's it going? Like, how is this great experiment you're running going right now? It's going wonderful. I'm pretty optimistic. And I will tell you that every shelter is sort of a fiefdom. And when we come in, they generally look at us as a threat, uh, mm, which is why part of Vegas Stronger... I am not getting into the housing or the, or the bed side of the business because I don't want to be threatening to the shelters. Got it. So Vegas Stronger is attaching this holistic programming to existing infrastructure. Outpatient treatment. In addition, we've adopted uh, three locations within the city and we've convinced a local strip mall that they used to give blankets, food and money to the homeless. And they were wondering why they always had homeless in their parking lot and why they were stealing, why they were begging, why they were harassing their customers. In the beginning of this year, instead, when you said, when you have a homeless, you call us, we send our intervention right. team down with a van, and instead we get them new clothes, we get them a shower, right. we get them a meal and a bed, and, and we connect them with one of the current shelters and treatment. And the, the strip mall has been thrilled that there's been a dramatic change in in the complexion of the visitors and how it looks. And now when somebody shows up homeless, you know, they, they all rally quick, quick, get Vegas stronger. And we come, what we do is not cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, suboxone or methadone maintenance treatment. What we use is a holistic treatment with self-care, with fitness, with nutrition to help these people come become whole again. 
I wonder how you feel about housing as a means to an end. I know like there's there's places like Utah, I think famously did this where they just made a bunch of houses and like ha- like actually constructing houses is becoming incredibly cheap, right? There's 3D printed houses now that are like 10 grand uh, from some of these new tech companies like Icon Build, et cetera. You're not in that part of the equation now, but just like as a policy for our country and you hear this all the time, it's like, oh, we're, we're dealing with the supply crunch, et cetera. How do you feel about that as a tool in the tool chest of like literally just make units and let people have an address? Yeah, but currently HUD has this help, hope, home method of dealing with homelessness, which is we need to give everybody a home. And to me, they don't have a licensed clinician who knows that mental health and substance use are primary conditions. And we need to treat your opiate dependence first before we give you a house or it's going to kill you. So I am opposed to the current give every person who's homeless a house. I am 100% supportive of more affordable housing because it's a requirement later in the chain. After we treat them, we do need more housing and we do not have enough. But the current strategy of let's give them houses and we'll figure it out later is a terrible strategy. Terrible. Why do you think that's worse than the default? Or do you think that's worse than the default? It's not perfect, but it's, do you not even see it as marginally better no, if you're only no. offering that? And why not? Because remember, I'm fundamentally needing to build your self-esteem. Yeah. And if, if I start training you not to have self-esteem, we're just going to give you a house. You're, not, you're just never going to be a functional human anyway. Yeah. You're, you're taking the rug out from under me. And we're robbing them of that, that independence, of that, that freedom to earn and be the feeling of being self-supporting. Right. Yeah, no, I'm a hard no on that. Yeah, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. All right, last question I ask on the show is, if you're as successful as possible, everything breaks your way over the next decade. What's true about the world in 10 years? Oh, I finished my doctoral degree and I published the study on Vegas Stronger because we're tracking everything through an IRB. We publish it and I spend the next 10 years flying around the country, going to Los Angeles and saying, hey, treatment people, hey, uh, hey, housing people, hey, court people, instead of operating in silos, let's get together and recognize these people need treatment. Here's the model and how you do it. Here's the PR campaign you need to do for your community. And, and I would like to see homelessness dramatically reduced, not ended, because some people are going to still, you know, run away from home. Um, but I, I would like to see homelessness dramatically reduced because I believe Americans should sleep in beds in homes. And um, while I sold my last company to a New York Stock Exchange publicly traded company, and I had a great event, but that isn't what I want to do next. What I want to do next is I want to have meaningful social change. And um, it's, it's actually going to happen. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, man. Well, I, one, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Two, we always allow the guests to have the floor to close this thing out. So whatever you want to share with the listeners, uh, whatever you'd like to leave us with, the floor is yours. I'll just say that for many years, I underestimated the effect that alcohol had on my life. And I realized that it affected later. Uh, much later, like after years, I realized that it, it hurt my relationships, it hurt my spirituality, it hurt my cognition, it hurt every aspect about me, and um, and I didn't see it, and that getting help was actually wonderful, 
And mm. saying, I need help, isn't cowardly. It's actually the bravest thing you could do. I'm a pretty tough guy. I've had multiple boxing matches. I've run the Ironman. I've climbed big mountains all over the planet. And the bravest thing I ever did was said, I need help. So uh, if you're struggling, I encourage you to get help. Thank you for listening to Radical Ones. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Radical Ones. You can also follow us on social at Radical Ones Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. Take care.